Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Godfrey was born in Nebraska to Nigerian parents who had fled that country's civil war in the late 1960s. Godfrey grew up in Chicago, which is also where he started pursuing comedy, despite his pre-med psychology degree at the University of Illinois, and where he filmed his new hour of stand-up comedy, Regular Black, for Showtime. You also may have seen Godfrey in memorable roles on the big screen in Zoolander, Soul Plane, and Johnson Family Vacation, or the small screen as the 7-Up spokesman, multiple episodes of Louie, and before all of that, a Bravo reality show that followed aspiring actors that also included future Oscar nominee Jeremy Renner. Godfrey talks to me about all of that, plus working with Bill Cosby in a lively, if not also distracting conversation amid the hubbub of Union Square pedestrian traffic. So let's get to it! So, Godfrey, we're here to talk about you. What's up, Sean? How you doing? What's your podcast called? It's called Last Things First. Nice. So, Last Things First, Godfrey, when is the last time you watched Soul Plane? (laughs) <laughs> Actually, like maybe a couple months ago, I saw it because they rerun it every hour. Yeah, but did you actually sit and watch? I it? watched some parts. I I don't really like to watch myself, regardless of whatever mm-hmm. the film is. Zoolander, I don't watch myself. Fat Girls, I don't watch myself. Louie, I don't watch myself. I just feel weird. Even you know specials like comedy specials. Right, I don't really you just watch have a, myself. You just have your first real big. Hour-long special. Well, my second on, one. Second one. My first one was with Comedy Central, was which was called well, that was, Black by Accident about four years ago. That was an hour or half hour? It was an hour. Okay. I had a half-hour Comedy Central also and an hour Comedy Central. Okay. And then this one is uh, Showtime. Showtime, which is, regular black. And I have to give shout-out to Rooftop Comedies, Matt Schuler, and your boy, Fine Arts. <laughs> yes, he was. See, Fine Arts, who is the director. Um, they're really doing a lot of good stuff. And it was them and audio and Audible Books. Yeah. So they're doing a lot of audio comedy stuff, and uh, right because uh, Rooftop got acquired by Amazon, which owns Audible. Oh, so it's all one big so thing now. I think there's gonna, it's, they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. I think because they're what I like about them is they're really into comedy. They really want to mess with comics that are ready, that have some notoriety, but need that little boost. You know, right. that's what I think. I think they have a lot of young creative people there. Matt Schuler, who's leading it, is awesome. He gets comics. He's not one of those dudes that doesn't get... You know, there's a lot of people that don't really get comedy. They come into the comedy business fucking it up, man. And they're tra- and they're, and they're showing us people who aren't ready. You know, I'm not saying I'm... Listen, I'm not saying I deserve everything, but I think the comedians that deserve to be... To have specials are the ones that are ready and been seasoned and been busting their right. ass, men and women. This shit nowadays, it's like a lot of people who aren't ready to do comedy are on... I'm getting everything, which is fucking crazy to me. Well, well, that's why I ask you about Soul Plane, because that was 2004. Wow. Did you think, when that movie came out, you were Snoop Dogg's co-pilot. It was supposed to be a big starring vehicle for Kevin Hart. Yes. Did you think that that was going to be the boost? I don't know. At the time. I thought that it would, because but then they bootlegged the movie. They bootlegged it, and um, somebody in-house bootlegged the movie, so it kind of fucked up a lot of the... uh, the box office numbers, mm-hmm. but as far as it's become a cult classic, <laughs> so right. it kind of it's it's kind of cool. One of those, it's so bad it's good. It's so bad it's good, and they make fun of it in cartoon. They make fun of it all the time. Right, that it keeps me around. 
It keeps people going. And I, that was my ghetto pass, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like literally, like um, when I would go to like all black um, shows or black, they would be like, yo, man, you were amazing in, in, in Soul Plane. There was mm-hmm. a demographic that I reached that, you know, never seen me before, but they know me from that. I mean, even high school kids are like, yo, you're gay man from Soul Plane. It's awesome. I love that they show Soul Plane every other hour. Because you need that rerun mm-hmm. for people to stay fresh in people's minds. So then when something, you get a new project, they'll go, oh, that's the dude. It'll make sense. You know right. I mean? So I need that fucking rerun, man. I need that shit. It's, it's Zoolander, it's, I get um, recognized from Zoolander. Because remember, that didn't do well in the box office because right. of 9-11. And so it became a cult classic. Right. When I started doing colleges, people go, you're, you're from Zoolander. I go, how the fuck did you know that? And I just had a cameo, but it right, was... You, it was, you didn't have a big part in it. It was a stand, but sometimes the small parts stand out. Right. It's like when Chris Rock was in um, I'm Going to Get You, Sucker. He just wanted end. one rib. <laughs> I, I know that. That was probably... I know that of, part. That was one of the funniest parts, and it was a small part. Yeah. So it's not about the length. It's about... Sometimes it's the timing. Sometimes it's the how strong the, the scene is. Okay. You know, like, go get your shine box. Goodfellas. I mean, that was a small part. Remember? Now go yeah. get your shine box. Who doesn't remember that? So it's it's all about how strong the scene was. How you know it's it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot of luck, man. You know, so I'm hoping that I get more like Louis, like Louis C.K. show. The two I, I was the first reoccurring guy on his show, first and second right. season, which which is doing me some good too because people know me from Louis. You know, you just try to you don't know what's gonna blow you up. You don't know, dude. When you first started, what was the what was the dream? My dream was to, you know, I was a big, you know, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy's fan. I wanted to do stuff Eddie Murphy did. Like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I would love to be on Saturday Night Live. Oh, man, I want to do comedy in a theater. You know, I want to, you know what I'm saying? It was like the dream was just to be successful and do. My dream was to be a comedian. Like to, I mean, when I finished college, that was when I wanted to be a comedian. But my dream was like, I want to be a comedian like Eddie Murphy and do like concerts and right. stuff like that. And. That's what I wanted to do. And then with that comes movies and TV, and I just wanted it to fall in place like that. And it kind of has. You know, I'm not going to say I've done movies. I've done television. I, I was a spokesperson for 7-Up. I mean, that's I'm part right. of American culture forever. Now, you're, you're also the son of refugees. Yes, I am. From Nigeria. Yeah. So how much, when you were growing up, in, outside of, in Chicago, outside of Chicago, in, in Chicago, in, in, in uh, Chicago. Wrigleyville, North Side. So when you were growing up in in Chicago as yeah. a kid, born in Nebraska, yeah, but grew up in Chicago, yeah. What was the American dream to you? What did What did your parents tell you? My the American parents dream was? were all about, and you know, with Africans, with I think with most immigrants, education was the first thing. Like you go to school, you can be whatever you want if you go to school, get good grades. Respect your teachers. It was always about respect, education. You know what I mean? And always, and that's what I loved about my parents. They were like, you, my father was always like, you have the same brain as everybody else. It's just how much work do you put into it? How much focus do you have? So my, the dream was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to graduate high school and then graduate college. And then from there, because I was, I was a pre-med major. Right, pre-med, uh, psych. Psych, right. right? And I was going to be like maybe a psychiatrist. So that's what you school. told your parents the dream was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the comedy bug hit me one time. It just hit me when I was in college and I had Tommy Davidson came to my college. You talk about going to uh, Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. Yeah, Champagne in, in the special. Yeah, and, and he came to my college 
And we hung out with them. I still have pictures of we hung out. We showed them around campus. And I was like, man, I, I want to do comedy. And plus, and he was on In Living Color at the time, yeah. right? Oh, he was fucking, so. oh, he was the shit. And you know how it is when you're in college. I go. I went away for college, so you're, you're like a mini adult, even though you still got your parents' phone, you know, right. just in case something goes down. But you're living on your own. Then you start to have your own thoughts. You start to think freely. You start hanging around with people who are like, wow, the system ain't right. You know, you become little rebels, you know. The system ain't right. Yeah. People who, you know, people who are gay come out. People who are, you know, you, you become, you know, I was black power, like black nationalism. I was because, you know, go you go to a... Um, you go to a majority white university, you become like close to the black students there. And then you get all like, let's learn our own history. Let's learn real history. And, you know, we protested against the, the uh, president of the University of Illinois, Stan Eikenberry. We did all that protesting. And it was cool. I felt it felt great. And then from there, I was like, I and, and, and you know what? I'm actually going to give credit to a girl I was seeing. It was a rebound chick I was seeing. <laughs> no, I'm not even lying. I was dating a girl on campus. Then we broke mm -hmm. up. Then I had this rebound chick. And one day she just wrote down a bunch of shit because I used to hang out in the cafeteria and just tell jokes with my buddies. We would just after we ate, we'd sit around mm -hmm. and just joke and all kind of shit. And one and we pontificate on shit. And one day I, my this girl I was dating, she took down and wrote down everything that I said one night. Just wrote down everything. And I woke up and she she had it on this yellow piece of paper. She was like, yo. She was like, yo, she was like, she was like, um, <laughs> yo, she was like, yo, you, all this stuff that you wrote down, all this stuff that you said I wrote down, you need to think about doing a comedy thing. Like you said, you said you want to do comedy. You should think about it. She's she wrote down all this stuff. She goes, the way you say things is so unique. And da, 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 da. then I, then I got a recorder and I started recording myself whenever I get on a roll. And so, but this is still at the cafeteria, right? This or? is still cafeteria and walking around campus. Then I said, when I get back to Chicago, I'm going to sign up for open mic. And I did, did it. Did you know where to go or yeah, my friend told me we were at this restaurant. We were hanging out and downtown Chicago, my friend Alex, he's like, yo, I said, dude, I'm thinking about doing comedy. He goes, dude, I know of an open mic. Uh -huh. And he said, because I, I tried comedy for a while. And I said, well, why don't we do it as a comedy team? <laughs> so we went up as a comedy team, Godfrey and Alexander. Uh, it's a yeah, classic I, rookie mistake. Yeah. It was, we were going up as a team. We, you know, here's your the first thing. thing. We were. <laughs> we were. We did well at the beginning. We did really well. We, we, we were funny and all this. We didn't have really great jokes, but I wrote all the sketches. And we did it, and I, I did it for like a year, and then uh, I where broke was this at? That you were Chicago. Talking? But I mean, what club? Funny, it was the Funny Firm. Was the first time. Funny Firm. Funny I haven't firm. heard of that place. Yeah, yeah. You, it's a Funny Firm. I've but heard it's of not... all jokes aside. I've heard of jokes and notes. I've heard but it of, was uh, it was around Zanies. doing all jokes aside and Zanies. Okay. Funny Firm. Then it turned into the Fallout. It uh -huh. was a two floor comedy club on Orleans in Chicago. Okay. And then it you know closed down, but um, I started to go solo because the, the duo thing wasn't working. I remember I was mad about the duo thing, and Steve Harvey gave me the motivation to fucking break, cut my partner. Yeah. It was because, you know, during all jokes aside days, we used to see Steve Harvey, D.L. Hughley, all those guys. I was going to say, you're still yeah, in your first all, year, and you're getting advice from Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, he's like, yo, man, you need to you need to go about your business and cut his ass. I remember he said, you need to cut his ass, son. Cut his ass. I was like, I'm going to do that. And so I started doing my solo shit, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, one of the first... My first stuff was at the Fallout place, and then I would go. I went to the South Side and do Bernie Mac's open mic. 
So Bernie Mac, they say, hey, go see Bernie Mac if you want to do some black comedy. Had Bernie Mac done his deaf comedy jam Not yet. yet. Okay. So it was, this is 90, whew, this is 95, uh-huh. 95, and I opened up for Jim Carrey. I had just opened for Jim Carrey because my friend was part of the Illinois Institute of Technology student board. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, hey, Jim Carrey's coming to do a concert. You want to open up for him? So it was me, him, and Harlan Williams. And Jim Carrey <laughs> had just finished doing Pet Detective. And he, so and then he blew, up, up. blew up, blew up after that. Now, so, what was yeah. your stand-up act like at the time? Because, I mean, it's very animated. Was yeah. it always that it way? Was always, I was always animated, energetic. Jim Carrey was a big influence on me. I was going to um, say, the, Jim Carrey, having you guys on a building. Jim together. Carrey, Mar- I mean, Jim Carrey, Eddie Murphy, um, and I was always an energetic dude. I could always do voices. I always could make faces. Mm-hmm. I was a big cartoon head. I love cartoons, and I wanted to be a cartoonist because <laughs> I always thought cartoons were cool. But, um, yeah, I had a lot of influences, man. For from you know, and when I met Jim Carrey, I was so I mean I was like man, you you kind of you I, I'm like I love a guy like yourself because you're very animated, and I was always energetic. But my thing was when I moved to New York City after about three years in Chicago, I moved to New York, and one of my first shows with, with, was with Dave Chappelle, and uh, and I said, oh, I'm definitely moving to New York because I mean we were doing five shows a night here in Chicago. You get five or six shows a week, right? You know, but when I got here, I was with Tracy Morgan, Dave Chappelle, and all those other people. <laughs> what was the What was the moment that you knew you were ready to leave Chicago? Um, when my when I got an agent and a manager, when I got an agent and a manager, and um, they told me, "Yo, you need to close the chapter on Chicago," and I was doing pretty well out here. Yeah, yeah and so they, I was like, "Fuck yeah." We're recording outside at Union Square, Which so is dope. It's, it's awesome. It's great. It's uh, even though it's been a heat wave, it's it's actually quite comfortable. Yeah, you know, right what, now, man. and there's plenty of people watching and people yeah. interrupting us and dogs and. You know, you know what I appreciate. <laughs> this is a funny ass dog. You know what I appreciate? I really appreciate the heat. I don't know. I like it when summer acts like summer, when it's summertime. Mm-hmm. Because when winter comes, we bitch and complain and boom, boom, boom. Then when when the summer comes, we bitch and complain still. But I like, I kind of like appreciate that it's hot and it's right. summertime. I, I like that. I, I I like temperature change because the memories are always cool. Because you you ever you know you have, where where did you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut. So you know what I'm saying when you we say had you remember last winter blizzard dude? of '78. Remember, yeah, talk about, still blizzard, talk about the yeah, blizzard '78. Blizzard of '79. Blizzard. And I love when you can talk about these things when it has to do with different seasons. Yeah, you, I mean, you I joke in your Showtime special about the the cold of uh, Chicago. Yes, and I love. Yeah, and then my first special I did that was called that was Black by Accident. And did the second talk about the weather too. Oh, I did Showtime. in Chicago. My fault in the Showtime. I did yeah. because Chicago it's real. Yeah, it is. Fuck, you know, I don't even remember because <laughs> I haven't watched it in its entirety. I did. Uh-huh. I was part of the editing process, uh-huh. but I didn't because I, I, I jinx myself. I don't I don't have watching parties. You know how people have mm-hmm. viewing parties. They'll invite people over to watch them on TV. That's narcissism to the next level. I can't do that kind of but shit. But we I was asking you about making the move from Chicago to New York, and you said yes. it was getting representation. It was getting representation. Then- I was fortunate. I, my, one of my first managers was Anthony Michael Hall's dad. Oh, wow. It was Anthony Michael Hall's dad, Tom Chistaro, Dave Klingman, and yeah, and it was me, Liguizamo, Sandra, but yeah, it was, yeah, Mike Epps, yeah. It was interesting. This guy named T.K. Kirkland, this comedian, T.K. Kirkland, T yeah. to the motherfucking K, he, 
kind of like was the catalyst to me moving to New York City because he saw me. I work with him at All Jokes Society in Chicago. And he says, man, I need to bring you to New York City. You need to come to New York City, man. How how much help was he in terms of once you got here getting you plugged in to the comedy scene here? I mean, it was... They, um, it was I mean, you already mentioned was, doing a show with Chappelle. Yeah, he was instrumental because Tony Woods. Mm-hmm. Also, I met Tony Woods out here and he kind of introduced me to a lot of the different like shows out here the urban shows and the crossover shows so i was able to prove myself you know what i mean i was just able to prove myself and that's how i started getting more work you know okay. people are like oh man you're really good here come to my room here come it was just you know how work begets work once you come into the comedy circuit you start meeting other comedians and stuff like that so were you were you having to do other jobs outside of comedy no i worked at a grocery store worked at walgreens uh, i worked yeah, I worked a little bit here and there. I worked at a, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, gosh, telemarketing place, yeah. selling uh, office supplies. I've worked at um, Illinois Department of Transportation Construction, testing materials for the road. Oh, I did some sucky ass jobs. What was the last day job or non job? Last job I had was, I think, was at a grocery store, I think. I was doing produce. In Chicago or New York? In Chicago. Okay. And then from there, it was comedy, man. My first paycheck in comedy was like $50, and I was so happy. I said, dude, this is my first money that I've mm-hmm. had earned on my what I love to do. You know what I'm saying? That was my first. It was all jokes aside. They were the first people to pay me. How did you know How did you know that you weren't, were never going to have to go back to a, a regular because job I knew, or career? Because I loved comedy. I, this is my love for what I wanted to do. I didn't give a fuck, man. I was like, this is it. And especially when I was getting laughs. I was like, oh, shit. I ain't going no fucking where. I'm, this is it. I hope that, I hope, cross my fingers, that I can make a living out of this. And you know how I, um, you know how I got, like, money? It was when I booked a McDonald's commercial. Okay. Yeah, I booked a fucking McDonald's commercial, and that gave me some nice money. How long did and that I, run? It ran for, like, a year, and I got nice money, and I... Fucking uh, got an apartment, <laughs> McDonald's apartment. A, yeah, and I started living on my own. Man, that shit was. My father was like, "Good." <laughs> you also did some awesome. audience warm up for a time, didn't you? Yes, I did audience warm up for the Cosby Show when I got here in '97. I got a job warming up the Cosby Show. His last one on CBS, right? With Dougie Doug, Madeline Kahn. I got that for a, a season, so it was like January, February, March, April. It was great. Did you interact with Cosby or the I other cast members? He gave, me, he gave me advice yeah. on comedy, which was great. This was after his son was killed. I was there, and I was roommates with Mike Epps in Long Island City <laughs> at the same time. And uh, no, he gave me advice. He gave me advice on, um, you know, and it was cool, man. And I got like ultimate Cosby advice. Like he had a cigar. You know what I'm saying? He was like, you don't see, let me tell you, you got to put the thing, you got to write on the paper, you got to boo ba do ba do ba do ba do It was awesome. He gave me advice about show business that I always remember it's about the business. Mm-hmm. Show is the smallest word. Business is the bigger word. You know? And uh, it's unfortunate Cosby is a fucking dick. Did he give you any advice <laughs> on women? No. I, he said, <laughs> knock them the fuck out. Just all you got to do is you put something when, in a drink and you can fuck them while they're asleep. When all, when all of that came out, what did you... How, when the, when what? This Cosby shit came yeah. out? Oh, I was disappointing. I mean, the world's been disappointed. Man, you know... But Cosby, having worked with him well, or I for mean, him or... Yeah, but that was back then. That's 97. Right. You know, I mean, it was disappointing because his image has always been fucking crystal, you know, just been clean, man. 
and and Cosby was always the person to judge everybody else. Right. And, not, and, he, and he was hiding this stuff while he's yeah. giving you advice and while he's It's not even on. worse than infidelity, dude. That's like you were knocking women out. Yeah. That's like necrophilia. Dead bodies and shit. That's disgusting. I mean, that's like the infidelity, okay. Not saying it's right, but whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but that whole shit, knocking women out and ugh, drugging them, ah, that was crazy. And no, and everybody was shocked. What are you going to do? And his image has been fucked. 50 years of, especially for African Americans, all the things right. he's done for TV, his image. No, he was, he was a symbol. Spy, he was a role model. I Spy broke yeah. the, t- uh, the network barrier with I Spy. The, the, <laughs> I love New York. The Cosby Show. <laughs> The guy, the Cosby Show. Oh, <laughs> and him as a spokesperson for Texas Instruments, Jello. Yeah. He's a big commercial person, so he's, he was on Captain he, Kangaroo doing yeah, picture he, pages. Yeah, he covered everything, which was amazing, you know. So, but um, but after a year working with with him and in, in that show, yeah. yeah, then what what did that what did that job teach you in terms of like being a comedian? Because you're um, you're dealing with crowds, but it's a it's more of a kind of a it's a harder it's a harder gig, isn't it, than than working at a comedy club? Um, working at audiences. Hard. Well, this is one thing they gave me. I, I, I was limited. I would I would warm up the show for about eight hours, hmm. but I had an hour break. Um, we do two shows, but it was like an eight hour thing. And like the first show, I I warm up the show for about two three hours. The second one was like because they did longer breaks. Right. It would be like five hours, dude. And I couldn't curse. I couldn't use profanity. It was a family show. So I had to stay within the confines of the Cosby rules, and I, I didn't let. There was not really any audience particip- participation, which you're supposed to have. That all I could do was maybe ask questions. I mm-hmm. gave people they want to ask questions about the studio, about, and then I had to tell jokes in between, and I and, it, and I did. It worked, man. I I was able to use other resources, man. Because you think about five hours, right? I'm talking about tissue paper. I'm talking about. No, I mean Ooh. people have it. People have this picture of. Like when Dave Chappelle comes in and does a marathon set in a club, right? A lot of that is crowd. It's crowd like, like crowd, crowd work. There's yeah. downtime. There's of course, of course. He's thinking, but like, yeah, the muscles it builds in you as a as a comedian and a, yeah. as a performer, yeah, to work an individual crowd for, over the course of eight hours, yeah. It's did that change how you approach yeah. your actual stand up gigs? Yeah, it it was like I felt like I could do. N- I no no crowd was hard to me. When I would do, because I would do the, I would warm up Cosby, then I would go, I would head downtown from Queens, head downtown to the village to do the Boston Comedy Club. Okay. And that would be at like 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. right after Dave Chappelle or something like that. <laughs> so I just felt invincible. I felt like if I'm, and then Cosby would actually do a set. He would actually do comedy and then toss the mic to me and go, follow that motherfucker. He'd literally look at me and go, now follow that. So I felt like I was getting the best schooling in comedy. I was like, no one could fuck with me. I can do. I'm doing five. I'm doing five to eight hours of warming up an audience, and I got to be clean. Mm-hmm. And then I get to go downtown and be myself. So I had the best of both worlds, you know. So I just felt like my brain, my comedy brain, was just fucking. I was just. It was just a steroid, you know. It was such a great schooling that I got, you know. So, but then around like the turn of the century, that's when you start. 
getting these movie gigs. Yeah, I got some movie gigs, man. I got a couple of them. You know, you know, we've already talked about Zoolander and Soul Plane, Soul Plane Fat and Girls, Fat and Girls, and then Johnson Family Vacation. Johnson Family Vacation. And, I had thirty um, years, to, thirty years was with Tracy Morgan. It was an indie film. I did a couple of different things, and I, I would love to do more, of course. You know. And you were on you were on a show called The It Factor. The It Factor. That was uh, like Bravo is Bravo's first reality show. Following an aspiring yeah, young Jeremy actors. Renner was on in the Jeremy LA Renner? version. Catherine Winnick, who's on uh, Vikings, is, yeah. is on that. Wow, I need they're they're more famous than me. I need to really get my shit together. But I'm wondering, like, I vaguely remember that show. Like, what what were what were your aspirations when they were following you? I thought it would just be, you know, I thought it would really really boost us because it was such a it was a it was a new thing on TV, you know, mm-hmm. to follow actors around. And, 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 and get to know actors through the camera, I thought it would be like, you know. But were you but were you hoping to be more of an it would boost your acting career more or boost your thought, comedy career more? I thought at it that would, point? I would have thought it would do both. You know? I thought it would do both I think I thought it would do acting too. I thought it would do both because it would just get attention mm-hmm. from a certain demographic. Because you know, Bravo at one time was more of a fine arts crowd. Right. That's what it was originally. Now it's more that it's like gay men and women and like urban, like ghetto shit, like with all those housewives. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's the demographic has shifted, but before it was, you know, it was like the fine arts people and the right. Bravo. You know, that's what you say at the end Bravo. of a fine performance. Right. So I thought I was going to get that demographic. Mm-hmm. Which I got some of, mm-hmm. and other actors were inspired by it. Because you know how I got on, right? No. Well, they recorded <laughs> they recorded our audition. Okay. They were following us around. So this is Billy Hopkins, who's a very famous casting director in New York City. Uh-huh. So I didn't know you needed a monologue. I didn't even fucking know. So I called my manager. I go, yo, dude, you didn't tell me that I needed a monologue for the fucking second phase of this thing. <laughs> and so... My audition, my my mm-hmm. my monologue was my manager didn't tell me I needed a monologue. I made it up. Yeah. My manager, that was my audition, that my manager didn't tell me that I needed a monologue. And then and I got it, on just because I made <laughs> So what did you do? You just kind of just ranted? Or? I just ranted. I ranted. <laughs> That's That was my... Audition and what 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 immediately came out of doing that show for you? Um, did it do anything in the short term? Recognition because I I had booked the Seven Up commercial on the show. Okay, so it was a it was part it was of the plot pl- line. No, it, I, they went with me to the audition. I didn't know I was going to get it. And I got. Oh, okay. It. I think I was walking down this street when I got it. Just walking down the street, and my my my, manager, my agent called me and said, "Hey, you got the commercial." It's like. You know, it was it was it wasn't even planned, right? You know, but it got me recognition. Like you know, got me with Seven Up boosted my shit up. You know, I mean, are you kidding me? That was amazing. No, I know when I when I moved to New York in two thousand seven, <laughs> that was the um, that was like the big credit for you on on the comedy on the comedy seller list. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was seven always Godfrey from the Seven Up commercial. Seven, yeah, because it was a big deal. <laughs> a big deal. <laughs> I just have to tell the listeners, he's not laughing about his 7-Up commercial. He's laughing I'm about... I'm watching the heroin at and alcoholics hijinks, fighting each other. Hijinks that are all around us here in New York. I love... What do you call hijinks? Hijinks. What are hijinks? Uh, What's that? What's hijinks? 
It's like just getting into mischief. It's a. It's I a just war. love watching some alcoholics fight. They're fighting at picnic tables. It's yeah, awesome. You, you don't Only get, in New York. You don't get this when we're in the studio recording. No, fuck no. Um, action-packed. I like this. You know, over the last few years, you've done a, a bunch of different projects, like development yeah. shows. You've yeah. been a, a host of a stunt game show. Uh, yeah, the Fox, the Bullseye. That was yeah. fun. Just a year. Just a season. But, you know. But you've you know, put shows in development in yeah, the pipeline. Yeah, I've done, I've, done, I've done shows on VH1. I was a talking head for VH1. I hosted a yeah. lot of... MTV, Spring Break, stuff like that. Did Carson Daly. Like an days. animated project you were trying. To I tried make? to pitch an animated project, didn't work out. But you know, I mean, I've you know, you, you just got to keep throwing what stuff it, at the wall, man. Yeah. What have you What have you learned about what you want? I learned that white this. people keep us down. No. <laughs> what have uh, you learned about what you want <laughs> out of your career? I just no. I want I want my own creative control, man. Mm-hmm. I just you know I. It's like Louis C.K. Man. He took a pay cut so that they would leave him alone, you know, for right. Louis. I just, I just want my own creative control. I, I just want to be able to do my sensibility of comedy. That's all. Because when, you, when, you're, when you're a stage person and you develop yourself as a comedian for years, you have a certain way you want shit. Comedically, you have a certain style that you want. Right. And you're, and you're a fool to veer off from that. Chappelle's a perfect example. He stayed within Chappelle's style and that's why it's the greatest show that Comedy Central ever have ha- ever had uh, Aziz Ansari Master of None it's his style of comedy and that's why it's one of the best shows on Netflix it's Roseanne Seinfeld everybody does their stand up act that's right. their show it, it, period all the famous comedians that stuck with their style of comedy are fucking successful if you go off of that it's, there's no purpose because your life is your stand up that's that's what you train yourself to be. So your creativity comes from your stand-up. Whether you're a fucking hosting a show, whether you're writing a drama, whether it comes from your stand-up as a stand-up comic, period. So who are... Bill Cosby. Who, who, who or what has been, has been good in terms of giving you advice or inspiration as you try to figure out how to put your voice into something? Um, I, Patrice O'Neill was. Yeah. Big time. Patrice O'Neill always told me to stay true to myself. To not, even if you get frustrated, he goes, the one thing you don't want to do is have to live with yourself if you compromise your integrity. You don't want to do that shit. Always, you'll you'll find a way. Fans will find you, and you don't, and when you build your real fans, you don't have it, you don't have to worry about shit. You don't have to worry about shit. Don't worry about catching whatever, some other motherfucker. That doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. That's what this business always sets us up to do, to be jealous of other people and all this dumb shit. He goes, stay... He goes, I would rather have 40,000 followers that love Patrice than have 100 million that I don't fucking even know who these people are. You know what I'm saying? So that was a significant thing. Yeah, Patrice always gave me good advice. Um, I got advice from Seinfeld, which was great. Seinfeld, when I was filming, I was, at, you know, I've been in a couple documentaries too. Yeah. I Am Comic, the, the um, Seinfeld documentary comedian, comedian. And he gave me advice, a lot of nice advice too. He said, whatever, age, whatever year you are in comedy is your age. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that line yeah. from the movie. Yeah, he told me that shit. Yeah, he said that I was like, in the cab, too. That was at awesome. Point. Yeah. yeah. Or limo. Probably he's in a limo. Yeah, limo. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably cab limo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. of those. So yeah, I so. always ask my guests this question, too, on the flip yeah. side. If some young buck comes up to you or, or uh, a college-age uh, young lady comes up and asks you for advice, yeah. what's 
they want to they want to get they want to they wanna get into comedy they want to get into show business what's the first thing you tell them i say stay the fuck away from asking comics advice <laughs> bitch no <laughs> i um oh well I, what i say is that if i if i feel like giving advice i just say oh you you got to just do it you know right you just got to do it you just got to i don't there's no secrets to it you got to just do it you go and oh, go to open mic and you just take it in the balls and do it to me, it's the best experience. You just got to, sh- or, or, or at least before you want to do it, go to comedy shows and watch. Just watch comedy. Watch comedy. Just get in, get into the environment. Like, go to a comedy club. Watch comedy. Just watch it. And then go start to sign up for open mics. You know what I mean? That's how I did it. Didn't do it any other way. You just fucking, that's why Nike has the most, a multi-billion dollar phrase. Just do it. It's like with exercise. Well, how do you do it? I just show up. I go to the gym and I fucking do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's they like it's like I need to take my own advice when it comes to writing, <laughs> writing my own projects. Just fucking do it. Stop bullshitting. Stop. I, but I get I actually get insecure about writing a yeah, not my really? not my comedy. Confident as fuck, mm-hmm. but I need that same attitude when I want to write a, a project for myself. I don't have the confidence because I don't have the control. That control, I I feel like I don't have control over it. Once I give it to an agent, then it's like everybody and their mama has an opinion about it. You know. Well, Godfrey, you just got to sit down and do it. I, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Shit. I mean, you know, as you said in your special, this was uh, this was regular black. This was ten years yeah. of comedy putting yeah. it out there into the ether. Finally. So now we got to see what comes next. Yeah. I'm. You know what? And what's funny is I'm looking forward to working on my next hour. And I know I think I have an idea what my next hour will be because I've, I'm always trying to work on new hours. Yeah. All the time, new new jokes. I think um, people know me that I'm the type of guy that I can be in a place eight eight and eight days in a week, and I'm gonna do probably eight different sets. You know, so that's kind of helped me over the years because I got another, I got a couple other hours, but I just gotta find and piece together what the next hour is gonna be because I worked out a lot yeah. of bits on on stage. Well, if you need someone to uh, put it all down on yellow paper, I know a rebound chick. Back in Illinois. <laughs> Who can help you out? That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Well, so, are you done? Yeah, oh. I think we're done. Oh, well, that was cool. Thanks for having me, Mr. McCarthy. Thanks for being here, Godfrey. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Peace. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.